You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Welcome to First Wednesday. So glad you're here. Uh, If you have your Bibles or a Bible app, we're going to jump right in. So go to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to get there in a minute. Um, This is an epistle. An epistle is a churchy word for a letter. Yeah, somebody's already preaching my sermon from the second row. It is a letter from Paul to, uh, to a church. In this case, he wrote it to the church in a city called Philippi. And this is a unique epistle among all of Paul's letters in that it does not have any behavioral correction. So if you read other epistles of Paul, uh, flip over a couple of pages backwards to First and Second Corinthians, tons of behavioral correction. He's not, stop doing this, don't do this, you better start doing this, I'm gonna come next time and I'll take care of this myself. Like he threatens people in Corinth. Not so much the case in, in uh, Philippi. He loves these people. And you can hear it in the tone of, of what he writes to them and, uh, and you're really gonna see that come through tonight. But the theme is all about joy in Philippians. And so we're gonna look at, at joy in uh, Philippians chapter one, specifically where as believers, can we find joy? What should be the things that give us uh, joy? I was doing some research this week, and I found out that, uh, you may have heard of this, it was news to me, that the University of Chicago has done a study or a survey every year called the General Social Survey. Anybody ever heard of it? Anybody ever participated in it? We had one hand for hearing of it, so I figured the participation level would be even lower. Um, they have done this survey, though, on the American people since 1972, on their life satisfaction and satisfaction with all kinds of different factors about you know, the economy or, or, or culture in America, different things like that, religion, all this kind of stuff. But in 2021, the survey hit a 50-year high of 24% of all Americans saying that they were not satisfied at all or extremely unhappy with their lives. That was the high since they started this survey. Now, among those 24% of folks, uh, that were unsatisfied. When they broke, when you break it down by demographic, the the highest unsatisfied. Can you guess what age they were? Young people, eighteen to thirty four years old. They were thirty uh, percent uh, of them unsatisfied and unhappy uh, about their lives. Now, congruent with this overall uh, decline in happiness or increase in unhappiness, as the as the, as the survey went, um, there were some correlating factors here. Um, they ask a question, how many of you believe that, that life has meaning and purpose because God exists? And, and that was much, much lower, 22%. And again, of that demographic, 18 to 34, it was the lowest in the whole survey, lowest ever. 14% of those 18 to 34 believed that life was meaning or had meaning or purpose because God exists. So ironically, you see these two things diverge. You see the general disbelief that that life has purpose because God exists, and at the same time, the unhappiness level of general Americans, especially young people, was increasing. What was ironic about this whole thing? Because you can see these these, these two lines intersect. What was ironic about the whole thing is the number of people who still believe that there's life after death in the United States of America. That number hasn't changed, but maybe five points one direction or the other in 50 years. In 2021, what do you think that number was? 73%. So we have 73% of our people in in our country believing that there's life after death, but only 22% of them think that life in this life that we're living right now has any meaning or purpose because God exists. And worse, the absolute worst among, uh, among young people. 
So the less we believe in God, and the less we believe he gives any purpose or meaning to our life, the more unhappy we are. Why do I share that? Philippians is going to tell us why and how we can be the remedy, not just in our own lives, but be the remedy for this nation. Amen? Oh, come on, believers. Don't, don't get selfish on me tonight. We're just getting started. I don't want to have to come off the stage. It's Wednesday. I'm allowed to get down off the stage. Sunday, we're not allowed, but Wednesdays, we can we don't want to be selfish with the good things of God. We just sang one of my favorite worship songs. I will sing of the goodness of God. We don't want to be selfish with that. We want to have God heal us, save us, redeem us, transform us. Why? So that the world around us, hopefully your family, your friends, your coworkers, your, 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 your fellow classmates, whoever you rub elbows with, and people on the farthest side of the world would, would be saved, don't we? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's our desire. So Philippians is going to uh, talk to that. So in doing some research in Philippians, I read something from one of the commentators who said this, you will have no lasting joy in your life unless you can answer yes to these two questions. There'll be no lasting joy in your life unless you can answer yes to these two questions. Question number one, can you face life with purpose? And question number two, can you face death with confidence? No lasting joy unless you can say yes, that yes, I can, I can face life with purpose and I can face death with confidence. Now, what I believe as a, as a Christian, what I believe from uh, studying Philippians this week is that the source of, of, of facing life with purpose, the source of facing death with confidence comes from, from one place. Can you guess where that is? Y'all, I'm gonna come off the stage. Okay, this is the interactive portion of the show. Yeah, yeah. This, it, it, it's found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. So let's, let's, let's talk about Philippians. Philippians is all about joy. Um, and I want to break down a little bit quick before we actually read the Philippians text of what joy is. And first of all, I'll tell you what joy is not. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an inner feeling, while happiness is an outer expression. The prevailing idea between the two is that experiencing happiness depends on external factors, external stimuli. Happiness happens to us when we relate to those factors or we react to those factors. But even though we may seek it, we may desire it, we may pursue it, feeling happy is not a choice we make. It's a natural reaction to these factors that are, that are stimulating our lives. Joy, on the other hand, is a choice that we purposefully make to have it or to not have it. We choose to have joy or we choose not to have joy. That's a decision that you're gonna make every day of your life. Happiness doesn't bring joy. Joy is not the byproduct of happiness. Joy is something greater, something longer lasting than happiness. So in the New Testament, the word that they use for joy is called uh, Cairo, or is called kara, and it means the inner delight or the joy or the calmness, inner gladness. It's related to the word Cairo, which means to rejoice. The action of, of, of having kara is to Cairo, to rejoice. And it's also related to the word charis. Any Greek students know what charis means? The grace, wonderful, Rosie. Hey, I, I love it. I'm impressed. So, so the idea of what it means to, when Paul says to have joy, is to, is to understand that we are living in uh, uh, God's grace and then to react to that, to, 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 to have joy and that choose to say, look, if God is going to give me grace, if he's appropriating grace to me, I'm going to acknowledge that and it's going to fill my life with joy. I'm going to choose to have joy because God has chosen to be gracious. Does that make sense? 
Drew, Drew may have read my notes, but he knew exactly what he was talking about a moment ago as he said, we're gonna hear some good news tonight about the goodness of God. He's chosen to be gracious to us so we can choose now to be filled with joy and nothing, I'm gonna tell you the end from the beginning, nothing can take that away from us. Nothing can take the Christian joy away. So here's what, here's what Jesus said. Um, Romans 14, or excuse me, this is what Paul wrote in uh, Romans 14, 17. He said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So this is an intrinsic or a natural uh, part of the human life is for believers to have joy, to be people who choose to be filled with joy. Joy is also a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and Get into verse 23, gentleness and self-control. So maybe rough on you just for a minute. If we're devoid of joy, if you do a self-assessment on your, on your life, your, your Christian life, your general choosing of whether or not to be full of joy, and you find that you are devoid of joy, it may be that you are de- devoid of the, the true experiential knowledge of God's grace. It may be that you are devoid of the Holy Spirit and not truly participating in all that the kingdom has to offer you. I know that sounds heavy, and it is, but it is scriptural. It is theologically correct, and and I believe that that's what the scripture is going to teach us here tonight, uh, that that the believers must be known by, characterized by joy, amongst other things. Most Sundays, I I get to pray right here. I got to pray this Sunday. Um, what we call the pastoral prayer, like at the end of of worship. And probably 90% of the time when I'm finishing that prayer, I tend towards praying about joy or hope or salvation or the gospel being on our lips. Some of you are nodding. You've been in here when I've prayed those prayers. That, that, That it would be evident in us, that it would be seen in us, that it would be seen in us so that the world around us might see who God is that joy would be seen, that, that, that the gospel would be heard and, and seen through us, that hope would be a, a expressed to us. Because without joy, our witness is diminished. At, at the very least, it's just diminished. But at the very worst, it means our witness does not exist. Has anybody ever wanted to follow someone into a faith or a religion or a Christian lifestyle who was always grumpy and cranky and sour and never had anything good to, to talk about or be ex- happy about? No, of course not. Everybody know Winnie the Pooh? His friend Eeyore would not be a good evangelist. But to stick with the Winnie the Pooh analogy, I'm not saying that everyone has to be like Tigger either. I'm not saying you got to bounce off the walls and annoy everybody. I'm not saying you're doing that. If you are a person that does that, how many of you know a Christian that is like Tigger? Oh, man, hands up. Unbelievable. Don't raise your hand if it's you. Let me give you some pastoral advice. Pastoral advice. If that's you, if you're a Tigger kind of person, Lean in. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Deep theological truth right here coming from one of your pastors. Knock it off, okay? <laughs> it's weird and you're creeping everybody else out. Now, in all seriousness, um, happiness is, is, is that ex- external thing that we're just responding to factors. Joy is what is seen from within us that we choose to have because of God being gracious to us and it ought to be evident to the people that we come into contact with. God wants us joyful. Jesus said this in John 15. I have told, verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be where? In you, and that your joy may be complete. Jesus has every intention for his people 
for us, that he's, he's promised us that his, his joy would be in us and that his joy would be made complete in us. So how do we get there? I'm so glad you asked. We're finally going to start reading in Philippians chapter one tonight. Now, this is not an exhaustive study in, in joy. This is looking at Philippians chapter one, and we're only gonna see uh, three things that I've pulled out of, of Philippians chapter one. You can go look at joy in the Old Testament, New Testament, other writings of Paul. Um, this is just Philippians chapter one, but three places that are unique that we're going to find joy in the Christian life. Number one, is that we find joy in relationships. Starting in verse one, we're gonna read through verse 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. All, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending or confirm and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and be, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When Paul thinks about the Philippian church, what did he say about them? He said, every time that I pray for you, I do it with joy. I'm choosing to be filled up with joy that comes from the grace of God that I see working among you. I choose to be filled with joy every time I pray for you. This, this relationship that he has with him is one that brings Paul deep satisfaction. Again, a choice that he's purpose, purposefully making to have an inner delight, a gladness about the, the Philippian church. Why? Because, because Paul uh, is, is eternally and glad and joyful about what they've done. Verse five says that they've been partners with him in the gospel from the very first day until now. So from the time that Paul first went there and shared the gospel with them, they have partnered with him. They have received the gospel. They've begun to live out the gospel. And now they're helping Paul to spread it to other people and grow in the local church there in, in Philippi. In this sense, Here's, here's my proposition to you. Joy can and should be derived in Christian community. It should be derived within the church. Why? Because we all agree about the gospel. You could do a survey, maybe not on Wednesday night, but probably. Definitely not on, you could do this on Sunday morning and you're gonna find people from all different spectrums politically and, and, and different beliefs and, and, and all these things. And that's fine. You know what we agree on? We agree on the gospel. We agree on who Jesus is, and that is what breaks down dividers and barriers and creates what, what Paul calls in other writings, one new man, the body of Christ. You come here and look around the room tonight or come here on Sunday, you will see people of all different ages. You will see people of all different colors. You will see a couple of dozen different nations from around the world, uh, from, from probably five different continents that are all here worshiping God together, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different religious backgrounds that have all come to faith in one place under the gospel of Jesus Christ. It unites people. It breaks down barriers, and we find community in one another. And when we see that kind of transformation, what should it do inside of our hearts? Fill us with joy. 
Look what he says in verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Remember what I said earlier? We realize, we recognize that God has showed his grace, his charis to us. So what's our response? We're going to overflow in joy. We're going to choose to be joyous and respond to that reality that he showed us his, his grace. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. I have you in my heart. Our relationship is centered around Christ, and that is a source of joy in the body of Christ. And what that tells me, saints tonight, believers, is that we need one another in the body of Christ. If you are looking for a church home, this is a great one. If this is not the church for you, hear me. I'm, I'm the administrative pastor. If Pastor Kirk, our senior pastor, gets mad, I'll take it. But I think he agrees with me. If this is not the church for you, we're okay with that. You can move on, but here's my, here's my encouragement to you just as, as, as a fellow believer, as a, as a pastor. Find the place that is for you. Find the place where you will plug in and find the place that where you'll do life with other people and integrate into the life of the church. Just make sure they're centered around the word of God and preach the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and go knock yourself out of that place and change the world. We may not be the place for everybody. We hope we are, but you need Christian community somewhere. Now listen, I love pastoring. I do, I, I, I think I've been at it for it's my 26th year, I guess. I'm looking at my wife over here in the front row. It makes me sound old. I started when I was five. And, uh, <laughs> but I think this is my 26th year pastoring, 15th year here at North. I love pastoring. Ask my kids. Uh, they, they, they sometimes, you know, think I pastor too much or pastor too hard or pastor at home too much. Um, but I love doing what Paul said here is, is, is allowing people into my heart. And, but can I make a confession to you as a 26-year as a pastor who still can't get it right? You know what I have a harder time with? Allowing myself into other people's hearts. That's just my confession to you. And, and there's people here in the audience tonight and there's people here on our staff that, that the way that you love and the way that we hold one another accountable, the way that you love my family and me, you make it easier for me to do that. But that's just, that's just my natural hangup. But here's my point in that, is that we have to do both as believers. We have to allow people into our hearts, but we also have to allow our people, or ourselves into other people's hearts to truly be the body of Christ. That's why we're huge fans about life groups here. Some of you, uh, you know, you've been in a Wednesday night life group. Some of you are in home groups. Some of you in Sunday morning groups or all three. There's some of you that are life group junkies. That's wonderful. We are, we are fans of life groups here, uh, and there's gonna be a huge kickoff in, in August for uh, a reset and a bunch of new groups, and if you can't wait till August, there's, there's probably 10 groups that meet here every Sunday, but, but my encouragement to you, again, just, just as, as a fellow believer and a pastor, find a group to get in uh, to and be the body of Christ, to allow people into your heart and allow yourself in, into, into their heart as, as well. Paul would tell us, look, find joy in relationships, and specifically in the body of Christ. Back, back to the text, verse nine, I'll recap what he said here. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's joy-filled prayer for these folks is, is, is spiritual maturity on his part, but also witnessing their growth. 
He's, he's a, a mentor. He's a, he's a pastor to these people. And nothing would bring him more joy than watching them, these people grow and mature in their faith. And why did he say that? For the glory and praise of God. Stacy and I lead a, a Sunday night group at our house. And um, it's for new believers and it's for people that are kind of seeking whether or not they want to be a believer. Uh, but we've got one other couple in that group that a seasoned Christian's been there for a long time with us, and we asked them to help start this group with us to be another set of, uh, another set of uh, eyes and, and, and ears and microphones um, to, to help us just mentor and to lead. And we were studying, of all things, we were studying Romans uh, 7, and we were talking about the purpose of the law, like the Old Testament Levitical law. And it was getting like just down into it theologically with these new Christians, right? But we were talking so, so much about how Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. And, and, and this lady who, is, who is, is, you know, one of our seasoned believers in the room, she just started sharing what, what God was kind of just downloading to her, like getting beyond the, the Christian cliches and getting beyond things that maybe she's heard all of her life. She just had this Holy Spirit download of how Jesus fulfilled the law and what that means for us. And she just shared it with our group and she was telling us like, I've never understood it like this before. And it was beautiful. Then a few minutes later on the other side of the room, we got somebody that is, is, is new and really, really early in their uh, relationship with Christ. And he's asking these questions about the law's purpose still in our life, being this framework that orients, orients our lives towards the holiness of God. And I'm just listening to what's going on with, with just a handful of folks in our family room. And when that night was over and everybody left our house, Stacy and I stood in the kitchen and we were just thanking God saying, can you believe what happened tonight? Just as, as the Holy Spirit showed up and the word of God came alive, people from brand new in the faith to decades in the faith are getting new revelation from the word of God and we're watching spiritual growth take place in our house. It was just one of, one of, one of the coolest things. And I felt a little bit like Paul, like, this brings me great joy to watch you mature and, and, and grow in the, in the faith of, of Jesus Christ. Some of you tonight, listen, I, this may not be for everybody in the room, but some of you tonight need to find Pastor John Rogers or Stacy that works in the discipleship department with him and talk to them about what it would take for you to get trained and move into that role of being a life group leader, a mentor that can start pouring into other people's lives because I promise you it will bring a joy that maybe you haven't experienced in quite a long time. Paul would say, find joy in relationships, especially in the body of Christ. Number two, how am I doing on time? Still got a half hour, wonderful. Find joy in your circumstances. Find joy in your circumstances. Let's pick it back up at verse 12 in Philippians chapter one. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Think about that. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true. Some preach Christ out of, preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision, that the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. 
So not only is this a unique epistle in that there's no corrective language, this is a prison epistle. Paul is literally writing it while he is chained in a Roman prison. And he encourages the church in Philippi in the midst of his circumstances that the gospel is actually being advanced. And because of that, Paul says uh, in verse 18 that he was going to not only just rejoice, but he's looking ahead and he says, I'm going to continue to rejoice. So he's in prison. What is there to be joyous about in prison? Well, remember what his goal was. His goal was spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He'd been traveling for a couple of decades by this point, uh, preaching, preaching. suffering, planting churches in in the Middle East and in Asia Minor and now in in Europe. He's been doing that. And now he finds himself probably imprisoned or some type of house arrest for close to four or five years because prior to being in Rome, he was was, uh, 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 imprisoned in Caesarea and then made his way to Rome. So after four or five years of of imprisonment, Paul's at this point where he's he's looking around like, is is this going to be the end end for me or or, or what's going to happen here? And he's hearing reports. People are still preaching Christ, Paul, here in Rome. People are still preaching Christ, Paul, in places like Philippi and Corinth and Ephesus. And he's, and he's starting to hear, okay, it's not such a bad thing that I'm in here after all because my purpose has not changed. And he even sees that among the palace guard that the gospel is spreading among them and people are becoming more and more bold to speak about Christ even amongst the ranks of the palace guard. So Paul's purpose had not changed at all because of his circumstance. As a matter of fact, what Paul would say and what he did say to the Philippians is his purpose was actually advancing because of bad circumstances. And so I wonder sometimes about myself and about us as a faith family. When we feel like that life is getting hard or we feel like our circumstances are are, are too tough, is it because the purposes of God have ceased to, to be fulfilled in our lives Or is it we just don't like our circumstances? Because if they're somehow stopped, if the purposes of God, you you, again, you assess your life and you kind of go, I just don't see any purpose in this. I don't know what God's up to here. I'm kind of tapped out on faith. And then you need to get back on track. God wants you back on track. He wants you to understand his purposes for your life. But sometimes we have to look a little bit harder beyond the circumstance. We have to look through a new God-filtered lens to see what he may be up to no matter our circumstances. And if you're a believer and you're feeling that way, then then I think it's probably one of two problems and most likely it's both. It's either a delight problem or it's an obedience problem. Let me tell you what I mean by a delight problem. Psalm chapter 37 verse four says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many of you love to quote that scripture? I love that scripture. Don't be ashamed to raise your hands. Come on, you've said that. You probably got on your fridge or something like that at home. The problem with how many people, not the Wednesday night crowd, not the first Wednesday crowd. I'm I'm preaching over you. I'm preaching to empty seats that will be here on Sunday, right? We never do this. We love to quote the second half of that, especially at prayer meeting, right? Hey, brother, sister, God will give you the desires of your heart. That's not quite what the scripture says. You see, the second half of the verse is dependent on contingent upon the first half of the verse. So it says, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, that doesn't mean he's gonna give me every desire of my heart. He's just gonna give me the desires of my heart when I delight in him. Because if I delight in him, what am I desiring? Him, his presence, his will, his lordship in my life, my yielded submission 
to him and his leadership, his lordship in my life, if I delight in those things, guess what? The second half of that verse is going to be true for me. He's going to give me what I delight in, him, his presence, his will, his lordship, my yielded life unto him. He will give me the things that I desire if I delight in him. That's the first problem sometimes we have is that we look at our circumstances and we have stopped delighting in him and what he wants for us. The second problem is an obedience problem. Earlier I read John 15, verse 11. Let's let's pick it up in verse nine and, and see in context what was Jesus talking about. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. See, he showed us the way. Now verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete in me. So what's the key to having his joy complete in us? What did Jesus say? It's obeying his commands. Just like he did to the Father. He says, if you want my joy to be complete in you, obey my commands. Again, if we don't see the purposes of God in our circumstances and being carried out in our lives and those circumstances are starting to cloud God's purposes, we have to ask ourselves, am I delighting in the wrong things? Am I desiring the wrong things? And am I being obedient to the commands of Christ? If you're in bad circumstances, I, I, I pray that they change. I really do. I hope that they do. But do not let undesirable circumstances steal your joy. That is not the Christian reaction to bad circumstances because joy is not outwardly stimulated. It is inwardly chosen based upon what? The knowledge of the grace of God. And Paul is our example here that despite his imprisonment, throughout all the palace guard, people are starting to share the gospel and he's hearing reports that people are doing it outside, inside, uh, uh, people doing it for the right reasons, the wrong reasons. And here's what he says in verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is, what back to purpose, the important thing is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul's in probably the worst circumstances of his life, and he's had some bad ones, imprisoned for four, possibly five years. He says, I choose to rejoice. I choose to be full of joy because God's purposes have not stopped. It's an author and missionary. His name is Nick Ripkin. And he and his wife, Ruth, have done extensive work uh, working among and writing about the persecuted church. Here's, here's a quote that he has in his book called The Insanity of God. Ruth is his wife. He says, Ruth and I seldom encountered a mature believer living in persecution who asked us to pray that their persecution would cease. We have never heard that request Rather, believers in persecution ask us to pray that they would be faithful and obedient through their persecution and suffering. That is a radically different prayer. When we know the purpose of God is there, the circumstance pales in comparison. The circumstance almost doesn't matter. And again, I'm not praying that you have to suffer. It's secondary to the purposes of God. And definitely circumstances are not something that should be able to steal Christian joy. The Apostle Peter echoes this when he's writing to persecuted Christians in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Verse 8 and 9, I quoted it here on this stage before. Uh, 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 
verses 8 and 9, he says, you right now in the midst of your persecution, you're filled with unspeakable and glorious joy. Why? Because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that, that, that gives us a different perspective about what God is up to. That if we can see him working in, in, in our circumstances, we see his purpose being carried out, nothing can steal our joy. And that brings us to the third thing I see in Philippians chapter 1. Paul would tell us to find joy in looking beyond this life. Find joy in looking beyond this life. Pick it up in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. I love his honesty, which is better by far. But what is more necessary? For you, that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress. And there it is again, joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account because of me or up, up account of me. In this passage, Paul comes to the ultimate source of joy, the Christians. We have hope. We have a reality of eternal life. Paul shows us that he is able to look beyond the change, look beyond the circumstances that he's in, look beyond this life to the promises of God and have sufficient uh, courage to face what's coming. He wants his will. He wants God's will. And because of that, he is choosing that joy is gonna overflow out of him no matter what. And did you see what he's concerned about? I'm gonna go back and read verse 20. He said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. His concern here in chapter one is not, am I gonna get out of these chains? Do I really have assurance of eternal life? Paul's not, Paul's not concerned about that stuff. What he's concerned about is, I, I pray and church pray with me, that I would not be ashamed as I would suffer for Christ in my body. Think about that. That's his concern. Whether I'm released from prison or I stay in here and continue to suffer or ultimately it costs me my life, Philippians, pray for me. I want to make sure that I exalt Christ. And regardless of the outcome, I want to make sure that I exalt Christ. And he makes this famous statement here in verse 21 that can be the key to you and me having Christian joy forever no matter what happens to us. He says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's hard for us in 2023. It's hard for us here in the United States of America. And, and, and we're blessed. I, I love being here. I wouldn't change it for, for, for anything. But it's tough sometimes to put ourselves into the circumstances of, of, of the New Testament and God's people, and especially someone like Paul who suffered so greatly when he writes these words. But if you can let it sink into your heart tonight, it can be a source of everlasting joy that this is true for us just as much as it was true for Paul. For me to live is Christ, yet to die is gain. Paul says, if I continue on in the work, and, and he says, yeah, I think I'm gonna do that. If I continue on in the work, that's Christ. That's Christ living in me. That's Christ working through me. That's right, Christ working on me. That's Christ. For me to live is Christ. But, but to die, 
Paul says, it's actually gain. Verse 23, he says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. I, I don't think that's selfish. If you go read all the things that Paul suffered and you think about the fact that he's four to five years here in prison, I don't think he's being selfish. I think he's being gut level honest with the Philippians because he knows death is a real possibility. I desire to depart and be with Christ. And then he, here's the kicker, which is better by far. As Christians, we've been given the assurance from God, from his word, that we have the ability to look beyond this life and know that when we depart, we gain Christ. Think about it, face to face. Paul says, when that happens, church in Philippi, when that happens, Mount Pier North, it's gain. And he said, it's better. And then he said, it's, it's, it's better by far. What hope that we would have in seeing our Lord and Savior face to face. I believe as, 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 as followers of people of the word of God, we can take God at his word and believe it stake our lives on it, and more importantly, stake our deaths on it. Christ has us secure both now and forevermore. That is the ultimate source of eternal joy in the life of the people of Jesus. Now listen, it doesn't mean that we walk around with a death wish or that Christians are somehow, you know, wanting to escape from this world's problems. That's not it at all. Did you hear what Paul said? I may be released. I'm probably going to be released and that's Christ. I'm going to continue on. He's going to continue working in me. He's going to continue working through me. It's going to be for your joy in the faith. It's going to be for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul is fully committed to stay. We're not trying to escape problems. Paul said, if that doesn't happen, man, to me, it's gain. Verse 24 and 25, he said, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul is optimistic. Four to five years in prison, he still has optimism. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm happy. I'm yielded to the fact that this could be the end for me, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm optimistic that God has more for me to do. I'm probably gonna stick around and I'm gonna help further this gospel and I'm gonna be there for all of you. What was the outcome that he said for your progress and joy in the faith? And when I think about pastoring these first 26 years and however many God gives me left, I want to be more like this. I want to be a pastor like this, a leader like this, a, a, a Christian like this, a husband, a father, a friend like this. And my life is, is, is committed consecrated, spent helping people further themselves in the knowledge and the faith of Jesus Christ. We need a church full of people like this. Amen? You're getting quiet on me now. We need a church of people like this, convinced, convinced that, 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 that joyous gain is when we depart from this life, see Jesus face to face. To face but confident assurance that if we stay, then we better spend ourselves 
getting to know him, walking in joy, walking in his grace, and helping as many people as possible come to find him. That's the point of all this. It's not about our circumstances. It's not about retirement. It's not about 401ks. It's not about the beach house. It's not about any of those stuff. None of them are bad. It's not a sinful thing to do or to have unless you make it your idol. But all that stuff is circumstances. It's not going to bring you joy. It might put happiness in your mind for a little while. You might smile about it. You might enjoy it again. These things aren't bad, but it's not what life is about. Paul would tell us, find joy in relationships. Find joy in your circumstances, both good and bad. And find joy in looking beyond this life because when we do, it gets deep down into us and nothing can take it away. And we have assurance for it. What's the assurance? Let's look back one, a couple verses at verse six. Paul said this to them, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Everybody in the room, everybody watching online, the work that God has begun in you, he will complete. Assurance. We have assurance. You don't have to worry about your, if you're kicked out of God's family or if you're rejected or if you've committed too many sins or, 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 or the past is too much, to, it's going to overwhelm your future. You don't have to worry about that stuff. The work that he has started, he promises to complete when we're yielded, right? When we're delighting in the right things, when we're obedient to his commands, anything is possible for the believer and nothing should be able to steal that joy with us or from us. Remember those two questions. Can I face life with purpose? Can I face death with confidence? When it comes to purpose, absolutely. We know that no matter what the circumstance, God can and will enact his purposes in us and through us when we're delighting in him, when we're obeying his commands, when we're yielded to him and wanting the right things from him in our lives. And I would say this again about the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, you have purpose. You need other people. Other people need you. You need to allow people into your heart and you need to allow yourself into other people's hearts. We will build one and up together in what, what the scripture calls the most holy faith and we will advance the gospel to people that have never heard it before or haven't heard it in a long time. That's the mission of the church, but it has to happen together in relationship. You have purpose. Now, what about confidence? Yep, that confidence we have because of what Christ has done. Assurance that we're saved. Assurance that there is a hope for us. Assurance that there is eternal life for us. Assurance that the work that he began in us, he's going to complete. That's where lasting joy comes from. These are the things that I pray never get taken away from you and from me. But we would live with joy, real joy. And the world around us would see it and put their hope in him. Somebody shared the gospel with us. It wasn't Eeyore. It wasn't Tigger. But somebody shared the gospel with us. And when we heard it, we thought, I could be included with this. And we dared to believe. We dared to put our faith and our trust in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, paying for my sins and his resurrection, declaring my new life. The world needs to hear that message over and over and over again until they believe. Would you stand with me? I, wanna, I want us to pray tonight. I want to pray for you, but I also want to allow response to the word of God, if I could just put it bluntly or just plainly, I guess. Um, 
We're going to have our prayer team down here in just a moment. If you have needs and you've come here tonight to, to, to receive prayer or to join with somebody in prayer, I want you to come and pray with our prayer team. But I also want to open the, this front area up for other, other reasons as well. And you may not want to pray with somebody over this, and you may want to come and have somebody, you know, direct prayer with you over, over these next couple of items. But you may be a Christian that feels devoid of joy, and you can't quite put your finger on it tonight. Maybe some things I talked about and delighting in the wrong things or not being obedient to the Lord's commands. Maybe that's making you feel like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know God's purpose. I feel like joy isn't, isn't present in me. Maybe you just want to come and pray with somebody down here. That's fine. Others of you, you may want to respond to maybe some of the challenges or the things that I pointed out tonight that, that there are people who need you in church leadership, in life group leadership, in hope ministry leadership, in student uh, ministry, in children's ministry. There are people in this body that need you. Your gifts, your talents, exactly the way that God has made you with your history and your track record, they need you. And you may want to come forward tonight just to spend some time alone to ask God to help you sort that out. What is that, Lord? And make commitments to him. But whatever it is, I want you to come tonight. And I want you to do two things. I want you to, to leave a burden here, but I want you to take joy with you. Our worship team is going to come in just a moment after I pray. And, uh, and these altars will be open. And I'll say to our prayer team, would you come while, um, while, I, while I'm praying this prayer? Father, I love you so much. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you use Paul uh, to open our eyes and to just be gut-level honest about his experience and about what he was suffering, about his circumstance. But to do it, God, in a way that inspires us to to have new eyes, to look past what we see with our, our human physical eyes and our circumstances that the enemy would like us to, to think are real. Paul inspires us and Paul shows us, God, how we can look beyond what we, we, we see in our day-to-day -day lives and see that there are eternal purposes that you're working out for our good and that you're working in and through our lives. God, your word said so many things tonight. Number one, I want people to walk out of here with joy, everlasting joy, even if their circumstances don't change to walk out of here with confidence in you, assurance in you, Jesus, that you're gonna complete exactly what you've started. God, there's others in the room that maybe are gonna make decisions tonight about church leadership, ministry leadership, what it is that you're calling them to do, how they fit into this faith family to, to serve and to be served. Holy Spirit, be honest with them about where they're at, what they need, and help them to take the proper next steps to honor you and to grow this faith family that we would build one another up in the joy of the Lord and growing in our faith. God, we give ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, have your way. I pray for every one of us, Lord, that the power of your word would settle deep into our hearts, that we would walk out of here tonight knowing that there is joy in relationships, joy in our circumstances, and joy in looking beyond this life because to live to have you with us, serving uh, for you, God, you working through us and in us, but to die, even in the face of death, God, that it's great gain, it's better by far. Fill your people with that holy hope in you, Jesus. Let our joy overflow so that the world around us might see who you are and put their hope in you as we have done. Bless us tonight as we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen, amen. He is good, isn't he? If you receive the preached word tonight, would you say amen? If you receive the sung word of God tonight in worship, would you say amen? And if you're going to go in the joy of the Lord now and for the rest of your life, would you say amen? Amen. All right, good. You're more awake now than you were at 7 o'clock when we started. That's good. I did my job then. Hey, we hope to see you this Saturday right here in this room for uh, Second Saturday Prayer. 8 o'clock we'll be here. We'll have some prayer guides, a time of prayer uh, collectively as a church if you can join us this Saturday at 8. And then, of course, Sunday at 9.45 and 11.15. Uh, we'd love to have you here as we continue on in um, the Wisdom, uh, the Proverbs series. Uh, foolproof. Don't be fooled. Foolproof. Lance says it's foolproof. Apparently, I am not. I forgot the name of it, but... But we hope to see you this Sunday as well. Allow me the privilege to bless you as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you, and grant you his peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I love you, folks. Have a great night. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.